Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Gaines, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name is Ed Mann and today we're very lucky to be joined yet again by Brian Moses. How you doing, Brian? Pretty good. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Very good indeed. Uh, I, was say, well, I should say for you, good morning, because uh, you've been very nice to, it's nine o'clock in, um, I think you're based in Texas, am I right? Yep. Yeah, I'm in Texas. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, nine o'clock your time, three o'clock my, our time uh, in the UK. So say so really, really happy for you to come on the show. Uh, it's such an early time. And uh, so we were just speaking off air, actually, and you're saying that it's been almost a, a year that we lasted a recording. Um, so we've got plenty to talk about because you you do a lot of work throughout the year on plenty of different things, a lot of your hobbies, and you're really you know, nice enough to blog about them. And you've got such interesting kind of insights into them. Um, and, you know, definitely there's been a couple of builds, a couple of uh, PC builds that I thought it'd be great to get you back on and we can we can discuss. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So the first thing, actually, I, I wouldn't mind discussing, um, and it, I think you released you released the blog post. I don't know when you did the bill, but you released the blog post probably mid-December time. And this is your, um, was it the Eco NAS or Eco, uh, the Econo NAS? Yeah. Uh, so this was the Econo NAS 2017. Um, and how, how many years have you been doing the Econo NAS for? Um, geez, I don't know. Seems like forever, but probably three or four. And what's the kind of like the, the design goals behind this one? I think the name obviously gives it away, but if you go into a little more depth with that. Yeah, ultimately, I kind of wanted to show to everybody how economically you could w- actually wind up building your own NAS at home and really clobber kind of the off-the-shelf offerings from, you know, the the various manufacturers. Your, am I right? So your DIY NAS typically is the one where you, well, definitely last year, you push it to the extreme of uh, what what can ha- what can be in a NAS. And then this one kind of tailors it back then to a, I think it's like $500 you try and get the budget at. I do, I do try and hit $500, but I don't think I've ever actually hit it when you actually add the hard drives and everything in. It's kind of, it's kind of a goal, but it's not really a rule. Um, you know, I'd, I'd much rather spend, you know, 50, 60, or even 200 more dollars to build something that's better than what you could do for 500. Oh, that's, that's nice. And how happy are you with this build then? Like compared to uh, previous years, did you find that you get progression each year or has there been a build that you've been more, you know, more kind of happy with? Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the build this year. Um, but I was kind of disappointed in that it didn't really differentiate itself from the build that I had done the year before PC parts prices just, I don't understand how it worked, but this year it just seemed like it wasn't all that much better than the one that I did the year before. And in fact, it was, they were so comparable that I've, I've just about made up my mind that I'm going to do an Econonez every other year, just to, just to stretch out the amount of time between builds so that, you know, we actually do see some, some better progression from one generation of hardware to the next. Yeah, because I was going to say about that, it was really interesting reading the blog post, you kind of, you know, mentioning that pretty much you're getting in a comparable spec and like even it was the hard drives, in fact, that you were trying to push, you know, to get a three terabyte one in there instead of two. Um, And and I was going to ask, actually, because as you say, it's a year on year, like how hardware gets cheaper and stuff. Do you find that 
certain components you get, you know, that get better value for your money? Or do you find that it is then every other year that you're going to get better performance? Yeah, it seems like the the yearly cycle that I'm on is probably a little too fast, um, to, especially if you're trying to be, you know, budget focused, because you're never on a budget, you're never going to get the newest stuff or even, you know, the last set of newest stuff. You're If you're on a budget, you're going to wind up getting whatever is, you know, on closeout that its price has pretty much hit the hit the bottom. And yeah, it, it seems like it seems like the year is not enough time to see a lot of progression in the hardware, especially the CPU and motherboard. Yeah, because I suppose I suppose it also depends on kind of the news about new CPUs and things like that, and like the progression there, and if they've stagnated a little bit. Um, because what? So how different then was the CPU that you picked last year to the year before? Almost ident- almost identical. They they were from a from a process like from a a benchmarking standpoint, it was within ten or fifteen percent. Um, there was a whole there was a whole generation of CPUs. So the, the, the family of CPUs that it came from was newer, but the performance and the power consumption and everything of that CPU wound up being akin to the CPU that I used in the 2016 Econonets. Yeah. That's so interesting, isn't it? How do you try and contain this cost? You know, like what, what parts, cause I think this is interesting for people who want to build PCs and build servers and NASes and things like deciding on where they can kind of, I wouldn't say skimp, but they get cheaper, you know, components and things to, you know, make sure that you spend a lot of money in certain areas. Well, which, which hardware components do you kind of, you look into in that regard? I usually wound up picking a, a CPU, um, like in this particular case, a CPU from you know the current the current generation of CPUs around the I guess the bottom of of his family the slowest and most economical CPU and I like to do that because if you pick a motherboard that goes along with that CPU there's a whole you know there's a whole cornucopia of faster CPUs that are out there that are either the option for the guy who doesn't want to build you know the the extremely economical NAS and doesn't mind spending, you know, a few extra dollars on a CPU or for the guy who says, I'm going to buy this cheap $50, $60 CPU today. And 18 months down the road, you know, when the next wave of new CPUs come out, I'll be able to go buy the fastest CPU from this family and drop it right in and get a, get a decent upgrade out of that. So yeah, the CPU, the CPU is where I start. And then it goes, it kind of goes from there. Then I pick out the motherboard and I'm looking for, you know, the support for the faster CPUs, the CPU that I've picked out and primarily the number of onboard SATA connections. I was going to say that's definitely a plus there, isn't it? With you building a NAS. Yep. Have you ever had to look into like adding like SATA ports based on like PCI Express or do you prefer having them on the motherboard so it just keeps the build a little smaller? I pre- I definitely prefer having them on the motherboard for the exact same reason that I like buying the the slowest CPU. If you've got a free PCIe slot, that's a that's another upgrade down the road. You just drop in a a new HBA and you've got you've got all the room for more drives if you filled everything up already. One of the things you did not skimp out on, but kind of you did you definitely got a cheaper uh, alternative was the the case itself. 
uh, and you you explained how you know kind of how brittle the case actually was. Yeah. Um, did you do you find that you know that kind of you know the cheaper you go with a case, it will be that way. Uh, you pretty much get what you pay for in a in a computer case. I I've found. Um, you know, there's there's some there's some really nice cases out there that aren't expensive, and there's some some really expensive cases. And then there's what I used, and that was the cheapest case I could I could possibly find. And those cases tend to be, you know, thin sheet metal, mm. sharp edges. They're <laughs> it, uh, a health hazard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What was the kind of drive behind that that case choice? Is it size based on hard drive space, or you know, kind of things of that ilk? Yeah, yeah. Basically, the number of drives that it could support was the the driving force behind that case. It was it was really cheap and it could fit a lot of a lot of drives for what what I wound up paying. It was it's it seemed like it was a good bargain and it it wound up being a good bargain for the guy who who won the Econo NAS because he didn't have to put it together. He just had to get to him <laughs> safely. That's, as long as you get it to him safely exactly. You never have to open this up if you don't want. Yeah. You know, you're never going to get any health and safety warnings. So one thing actually you did mention in the in the build, and this was one of those kind of oh dear moments, was issues booting the machine. Um, so you built the machine, and then you had some issues booting it. Would you mind maybe explaining for the audience, like kind of what was the issues there and how you had to overcome that? That's right. I had actually bought the yeah the the prior generation CPU to save some money, and the motherboard or or the other way around. It, the newer the newer CPU wound up being cheaper. But the BIOS needed to be flashed to support that CPU, so I was stuck. Is that chicken and that is such a bad chicken and egg scenario, isn't it? Because it is. how can you upgrade it without having a CPU that will actually support it? It's a pain. You can't. And I was, I must say, let's say mad enough at the the motherboard manufacturer that I can I consider just returning the whole thing and starting over from from scratch, and then I. You know, it'd been, I wound up publishing that later than I wanted it to be. So I just wound up going ahead and going back the CPU generation and picking something that was going to work right out of the box. Yeah, it it really does kind of bamboozle you, doesn't it? You know, and I'm guessing like when you were buying it, you didn't know that the firmware kind of, they didn't have anything on there saying that, by the way, this firmware is only for this and there's no way around it apart from, you know, having to do it yourself. Yep. And I'm and I'm sure there are motherboards from that family out there with the right firmware already on them. So it I mean I I guess I empathize with the manufacturers. What they're saying was right, that it supports both those CPUs, but you kinda needed an asterisk there that said I think that's it. Yeah. Only if you have this version of the of the firmware and you need a working CPU to flash that firmware. Yeah, they they don't put that on the uh on the description, do they? No. Well, they might have. I'm not. I'm not remembering if they did that or if they did that or not. And either it was. It might have. I always assume I'm the weakest link in the chain. It's <laughs> entirely possible that they put it, and I did not. I did not see that asterisk. I, I'm. I'm still blaming them, Brian. It's all right. We'll blame them. It's them. We'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one other thing, actually. So you know, being a NAS build, hard drive space is the king. Um, and actually, it was really interesting, and I, I'd never even thought of this before. But you know, you picked out some white label hard drives, um, and I'm just wondering for the audience and, and for myself, actually, could you mind explaining kind of like what a white label hard drive is and kind of your experience with them, if, if you've ever used them before? And I'll 
I'll do my best, but I've never bought a white label hard drive before the EconoNAS. So there's this was a new territory for me as well. Um, it wound up I wound up finding them on Amazon. They were a few dollars cheaper per drive than all of the other three terabyte hard drives. And essentially what the white label hard drive was is hard drives that were not intended for resale to consumers directly. So like a white label hard drive would get sold to say a computer manufacturer who's buying hundreds of hard drives or maybe to somebody like Backblaze who's a cloud storage provider and they're buying, you know, hard drives in hundreds and hundreds at a time. And it's, I guess in some cases either, you know, some of these wind up hitting the primary consumer market through, you know, buying and reselling or I, I don't know how I don't know how they wind up getting to us, but essentially what you do is you pay for a hard drive and you're not really going to know who the manufacturer is going to be on that hard drive. It's a and little bit of luck. <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a lottery. It's exactly the kind of gamble that you need to take to build well, you don't need to take, but it's a gamble that could pay off well for an economical NAS build. It allowed me to save I can't remember exactly how much, but across those five drives, it probably wound up saving around 50 bucks, which is 10% of my $500 goal. No, definitely. I mean, that's a win right there. And and it was interesting because you did actually like look into the firmware and stuff to see what the drives were. So you can kind of work out once you've got them. Yep. But I suppose it's interesting because one of the things you worry about with hard drives is the the kind of manufacture process and which drives you get. So if you get one that's on a dodgy batch, you know, that if you've got them in, you know, you can kind of look for the serials and see, hang on, these were produced in the same batch. Maybe if one of them has a problem, the other one will too. Yeah. How much do you kind of, you know, I guess you are, you really do hope that you have got many different batches. So then there's, you know, that kind of your odds get increased. Yeah. Well, in the, I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, what you would prefer is, yeah, numerous different manufacturers and numerous different batches inside there so you don't have you don't have that repetition of hard drives coming out of the same batch um but that's that's expensive i mean that that takes that takes time or you have to buy you know where you know exactly what it is that you're going to get and it's it's difficult to do on a budget and you don't really get that through Amazon, do you? You can't exactly, you can't pick a serial. It's like, yeah, I don't really want the, the serials, you know, the sequential serial number ones of these, please. Could you uh, give me a couple of different batches? Yeah, yeah, that would, that would be nice if they had that option. So you would recommend then actually having, say, you know, every drive you have in that machine is obviously a different batch, but actually a different manufacturer as well. Or do you like to keep them always the same manufacturer, but just different batches? I am not very loyal to any particular hard drive manufacturers. Over over the years that I've been building PCs, I've bought I've bought hard drives from bad batches from every manufacturer. And if I if I started burnt too many times, <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, not not burnt too many times. Just realize, hey, this is this is the nature of of their business. You're you're eventually going to buy a whole bunch of drives from a manufacturer that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, skimped on a process and wound up having a whole bunch of drives go out there that were bad. And, you know, the only, the only real way to do that, to, you know, mitigate that risk is to buy 
from as many manufacturers as you're willing. And hopefully when you're buying the same model and hard drive, find a way that you can get drives from different batches. Um, about the best piece of advice I can give on doing that is if you've decided, hey, I'm going to put four Western digital, four terabyte red hard drives in my NAS, then maybe you buy those drives from four different vendors, you know, Amazon and Newegg and, you know, insert. Yeah, increases insert. the odds that you're not going to get. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee that every single one of those drives aren't going to come from the same batch, but it increases the likelihood that they're all from different batches. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. And the converse is true of that too. I mean, the more, the more different batches that you have, the more likely you are to buy a drive from a bad batch and to have problems with a drive. I mean, that's a, you're kind of, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't on that. Um, and that's why, that's why you buy a NAS and you make sure you have extra extra drives worth of redundancy in there. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not if a hard drive is going to fail, it's going to, it's going to be when, and that's protecting it. yourself against that. Expecting failure yeah. is a lot better than kind of, you know, being scared of it. Just embrace yeah. the fact that it's going to fail eventually. Yep, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. And and do you find then with the hard drive, speaking a lot about hard drives here, like that, that is the key, I suppose, because your data's on there. That's the, the key part of a build like this, where it's more, most likely to have failures or do you think the memory is something that you've had more in the past how how's your experience been with each component like pc component and failures of of some kind in my in in all of my pc building experience the thing that's most likely to fail is my satisfaction with the hardware newer hardware comes out and i and i upgrade it always um i guess of the stuff that i've had and messed with here in the in the last few years uh the components i've had fail the most are hard drives they're the ones they're the ones and they're the most important sadly yeah yeah they're the ones that they have the stuff that you can't replace and, and how did you find then the burning testing um because we did speak about that on the last couple of episodes we did and kind of you know like talking you know kind of like about the process we've already spoken about how you know you go about doing this but in in this build how did you find it uh it well I, it's surprisingly i always expect on the on the economical builds that something's going to be flaky in. and and in this particular case it went pretty well um do you put it through the same paces as your diy nas build yeah burnings? yeah it's yeah. a yeah. it's a pretty it's a pretty simple process so yeah i like to you know the first thing i like to do on the first boot up is you know run it through three passes of mem tests to look for any kind of errors there and then you know it usually winds up going for more than three passes because that's something that takes hours and hours to do and i usually build a i build a nas over the weekend so i you know sometimes sunday i f i post it for the first time and then i let it run sometimes all week you know it'll do dozens of passes because i'm just i don't know if i'm lazy or <laughs> you forget or you forget about it <laughs> yeah just, oh look at that it's still going over there that's kind of cool but after after three you're really just kind of wasting time and then uh after that i like to do a a series of kind of you know CPU torture tests where I'd I'm peg the CPU at so mean so uh, mean yeah it's it's not very nice and I do it for incrementally longer and longer times until I get to about fifteen or twenty minutes and then and then I feel pretty pretty sure that the you know the CPU motherboard and RAM are all pretty good 
Now, that makes a lot of sense, though. I mean, look, you're better off knowing when you first build the machine than, uh, you know, a couple of months down the line when you're starting to use it in production or using it, you know, for your, for your leisure and then realizing, oh, dear, we're having this random problem. Exactly. Yeah, I'd much rather run into that problem when I'm excited about putting it together and working on it rather than a year later when I'm I'm not so excited about troubleshooting why, That's why it like, is. Yeah, it's like opening back up that case, which yeah. you were, uh, you know, get the gloves back on. We've got a health hazard again. Exactly. And uh, one thing, actually, you uh, you did, I think it was last week, it was the, a live stream. And I really enjoyed this. Like, I watched it um, after the fact. Uh, and it was of building your own home theater PC. I was wondering, like, how did you find the live stream experience? And do you plan on doing any more? Sweaty is, is how I found <laughs> it. <It's awkward. laughs> holy, holy moly, it was really uncomfortable. Um, you were fine though. I thought it was great. I thought it. I thought it. I thought it went well. But if you had uh, put your hand up the back of my shirt, you would have. You would have found <laughs> a lot of moisture. It went. I w- it went really well. I was uh, terrified when I posted that machine. The machine and it wouldn't. It wouldn't come up. Oh. Staring at it and and the it wound up being, you know, getting the right the right cable for the monitor. But that was uh, I was, I was thinking this is about the worst case scenario. Everything goes well. And you turn it on and, you know, the CPU's bad or you've, or you've had enough problems with something else. Um, but the experience of live streaming was pretty interesting. I, I liked it. I thought it, was, I thought it was fun. I thought that maybe a, a two-hour PC build probably wasn't the best way to do it. I'd rather do something. I think I'd, if I do another live stream in the future, I'd rather do something more along the lines of a, maybe like a Q&A session. You know, have a bunch of people come in and ask NAS related or home theater related questions and see what I could do to answer them so that, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, that's what wound up being the hard, the hardest thing to do. I was doing two things at once. I was trying to be, you know, a host and look at the camera and talk to the camera. I don't know how you did that and while focusing and then going, Oh dear, I need to make sure that this actually posts at the end. So I better keep an eye on this. (laughs) My, my buddy Pat was in the background. You didn't see him, but Every time, just about every time I look up and look at the camera and talk to the camera for a few seconds, he's pointing at it and saying, you know, pointing at the camera. <laughs> oh, brilliant. No, I, I thought it went really well. I, I really enjoyed it. And like, what, what actually drew you then to build like a home theater PC? It was, I can't remember what I was griping about at Pat one afternoon or one evening at dinner. Um, I think I'd run out of display port or not display port, uh, HDMI connections on the back of my TV. And I was kind of griping about how I had, you know, about three devices that all seemed like they should be consolidated into one. I have my, you know, my Chromecast, my Fire TV, and my Steam Link box, each each of them using up an HDMI port. And each of them kind of all doing the same thing. And Yeah, just got a different twist to each one of them a little bit. Yeah, and each of them, I thought, would be able to be consolidated down into a a single device like a like a home theater pc and then uh there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap there with folks who are building nas machines i mean a a large number of those people who need a ton of storage are way into their own digital media definitely and i it seemed like a good you know i've talked about it plenty on my on my nas build saying you know i'd rather have a separate home theater pc from my from my nas so that you know they were two different pieces of hardware and i figured i should you know kind of put put my money where my mouth is and build that home theater pc 
Absolutely. Well, it's a, it was a really interesting build to watch. And it would be interesting to kind of get, maybe go into some of the specifics of kind of what you decided on. Um, like in particular, kind of, you know, your your choice now of, of going with AMD over an Intel. Uh, a lot of, since we've done our last podcast last year, AMD have seemed to be coming back. They are, you know, they've, they've been making some noise really uh, with the new Ryzen and Threadripper. They're really quite, they were quite scary, uh, scaring Intel a little bit. Would you mind maybe explaining kind of like, you know, what, what's so good about Ryzen and Threadripper and, and kind of that type of thing? Well, and I've, I've been a bit of an AMD guy forever going back to one of the very first computers that I built. Um, in fact, I'm, I want to say my father's first computer was an AMD CPU way back in the 386 days. Um, I have I have always opted. I've always been tempted by AMD's price perfor- price to performance ratio. It's always it's always been very competitive compared to Intel's, and that is. And it's always nice going against Intel, isn't it? Uh, it's always a little bit nice. <laughs> it's, it's kind of be nice. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of fun to be the black sheep, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that, that ultimately wound up wound up being the being the difference maker for me. I wanted a machine that I could play most of my Steam library on at my at my TV if I wanted to. Um, not necessarily all of it. I mean, I I understand that that's not possible. Um, but if as as most of it as I as I possibly could, and that's that's why I wound up settling on the the fifteen hundred X. And how have you felt? Because have you actually? So I know the, the blog post hasn't come out yet, but have you like installed the OS and started using it? Nope, I've got the OS over there right now, Ooh. waiting to be loaded. That's the oh, exciting times, exciting times. That's the next part. I can't decide. I've I can't decide what I'm going to do do next. Either write the write the hardware blog portion and then move on to the software or do both build the machine and then write the blog i haven't i haven't quite decided yet oh man decisions decisions yeah it's, it's fun to have them so with the ryzen then and because it's now ryzen versus coffee lake uh, so you've got the amd ryzen series and then you've got the intel coffee lake which is their new their new kind of flagship um successor to the kb lake series yep. uh, and i'm just wondering kind of like what and also then you've got Threadripper, sorry, and i9s. Uh, would you mind explaining a little bit what a Threadripper is and what i9s are and, and kind of, you know, what, what's going on in that space? Um, you know, I don't know that I've actually dug into the newer the newer CPUs to understand all of the differences. But really, it's my understanding that the, the biggest difference between the Threadripper and i9 and then their, we'll call them little brothers, is... Uh, is thread counts is core count you know they can they can process more they have more cores with amd thread replica came out and it was just this whoa you know they've kind of complete it's like when they had the 64 bit it's like oh wow you've done something completely different here uh, and then i9 came out and that's the, the thread ripper and i9 are kind of their gaming kind of cpus i'm right in thinking or the uh, enthusiasts i think well, I would think that they're probably they're their performance CPUs. I think you could probably debate whether they're better gaming CPUs because you know a lot of, a lot of games are dependent on processor speed and not necessarily the core count. So it's a it's an interesting balance. But like, let's say you're uh, you're editing video or you're you're doing development work or you're doing I mean you're doing things that that benefit from multi-threading, then the thread, the Threadripper and i9 CPUs are definitely going to be up your alley. 
I think that's one thing, isn't it? Single threaded games and stuff. There's still that need for, you know, one big core or something like that. And is that, is that why you uh, picked the Ryzen 5 then? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly why I did it. I, I opted for fewer cores, but perhaps for my budget, uh, faster CPU. Now that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, building a home theater PC is different to building a NAS, and like the the you know the kind of considerations that you need to think of. Would you mind like maybe going into kind of the hardware decisions and why you went a certain way with things? Like graphics, obviously, is a bigger part in home theater PCs than there is in NAS. Yeah, yeah. I've never I've never put a GPU in a NAS ever. I I never will unless I decide to build. You know, if if there was a guy out there who said, "Hey, I want a home theater PC." to hold all of my movies, you know, maybe I would tell him, well, Hey, check out both my NAS and home theater PC blogs and find a way to, to work them to, to, to mash them together somehow. But you'd still recommend to have a split, like getting those two separate responsibilities and having it to be able to, you know, upgrade at their own, own yeah. rates. Yeah. All things, all things being equal. I think I would prefer to have it be split, but that's, that's going to be expensive. So, I mean, you can't, you're du- you're duplicating the CPU and the motherboard and the case and the memory and memory these days is ridiculously expensive compared to before. So yeah, if if somebody was out there and he he said to me, hey, I want I want to build a machine. I want to be able to watch all of my movies on my TV, and I want to be I want to have confidence that I can store my twelve terabytes of of movie collection safely. But I've got this budget. I can't build. I can't build. I can't afford to build a separate NAS and home theater PC. I would tell that guy, "Well, build a home theater PC and stick as many hard drives in it as you possibly can, and turn it into a NAS." Also, when it comes to building, you know, the NAS versus the home theater PC, there's a. I guess there are a few, you know, hardware decisions that you need to make. You know, like the NAS probably doesn't need as much CPU as the home theater PC and the home theater PC doesn't necessarily need as much or any storage compared to the NAS. But beyond that, it's, there's not a whole lot of difference. I mean, beyond those, those two, those two little things there, there's not a whole lot of difference. Um, Apart from I suppose form factor as well is another consideration with having so much hard drive space. You want to make sure you can actually cater towards that. Exactly. And I was going to say, because you said so, you know, memory is expensive. Um, I'll, I'm going to bring up graphics cards are expensive, especially if you're going to go for a high-end graphics card at this time uh, with the cryptocurrency boom. How did you find that? And, uh, you know, trying to find one that actually was a decent price for what you were actually getting. Um, well, I didn't I didn't think it was too terrible. I, don't, I can't remember how much I spent on that. But, yeah, the the top of the line, and maybe that's what wound up being the difference, but I I definitely didn't buy a top of the line video card, but the the top of the line video cards are are crazy expensive. But I did, yeah, I did spend quite a lot on that on that GPU. Now that I look at that that invoice, it was it was not <laughs> it was not as inex, inexpensive as I thought. I remembered you um, went for what was it the MSI branded Nvidia card, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, the ten fifty Ti. Yeah, it's the 1080s that uh, that are uh, high, hot in demand. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe the the 1050 because it's well, it's it's kind of middle of the road. Perhaps the cryptocurrency mining guys don't don't care for it much, and if maybe hopefully maybe the prices has not been inflated by the extra demand. 
I do feel sorry for gamers. I think, you know, it's been, you know, obviously this boom has really kind of just hit them hard because, yeah, they're, they're building a gaming PC at this time still is a ridiculous price just for the graphics card because yeah. they're just so, you know, in demand. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of it is kind of crazy the way that's working out. Have you have you been, have you have you been interested in like the mining kind of scene and kind of looking at different? I mean, the YouTube videos of some of these mining rigs are just insane. I've I've heard people talk about it, and I've been excited to listen to people who are excited about it share their share their excitement. But I don't have any interest in cryptocurrencies at all. I mean, it's a it's a really cool topic, but that's uh that's for another guy, I think thinking these builds and stuff they're just i mean again it's it's uh, this is what i love about building pcs and like pc builds is you know every pc build has a story and you know you can look at kind of a mining rig and kind of what the requirements are there and you've just got these you know racks and racks of graphics cards that are all you know hooked up and you know it's a very different story to the i want a nas or i want a home theater pc but you know the components are all the same but you just put them in different ways it's great it's interesting how you can how you can take you know your home computer and draw a Venn diagram of every use case scenario, and they overlap a ton, and they don't overlap a ton, and that's that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. And so you mentioned that you know you you pick it currently. You're deciding on the operating system. Um, have you actually picked an operating system or a couple of operating systems that you're going to decide on, or what, what's your kind of thought process there for the home theater PC? I actually wound wound up deciding to spare all of my Linux friends patience, and I'm just going to put Windows 10 on it and oh. <laughs> and uh, and run it and run it on there. That uh, I already I already taxed their patience with all of my questions when I want, when I run into a problem. So I figured I'd give them a break in it when I was adding this new PC. So with Windows 10 then, because does Windows 10 have like Media Center built in already? Like, in, I mean, I'm back in the days of like 2005 Media Center. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. It's my, now I could, I could be wrong. This is part of the blog that I have not researched very well, but it, it's my understanding that I can run Kodi or XBMC That's it. right on top of Windows or whatever yep. operating system that I want to run it on. Yeah, you get the best of both. And obviously now, because it, it used to be X, I remember it back in the day when it was XBMC, yeah. and it moved to Kodi, and then everyone's been getting these Kodi boxes quotes. So now they've moved back to XBMC. That's interesting. Oh, dear. I feel, again, that project, it does annoy me a bit because you're penalizing the project that isn't, I mean, it's the plug-in architecture on top of it that people are producing these, you know, things that are illegal. You can't blame the project for that. It's the people making the plugins. Yeah. So... It just, yeah, and XBMC isn't really a nice net. I suppose Cody isn't very, uh, <laughs> well, it kind of codec, you know, you can kind of see why they would name it that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, kind of, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's a cool name. But yeah, so you're going to run Cody on there then, and then like the Steam library, I'm, a, I'm not really clued up on that. So the Steam library, like say with the Steam box, that streams, because I, I remember there was like a, this idea that you'd have these big servers and then you'd have this dumb box in your home and it would actually stream like content, essentially games from the server. Yep. But with with Steam, is Steam doing that or is it actually playing the game on the actual hardware? How's that working? It's magic. I don't really understand how it works, but I um, I assume it's a little bit of it's a little bit of both. Like that something's getting cached and processed on the Steam box. And it's being served up by, by the. What, what are the spec? What are the specs of the Steam Box? You know that? Have you had a little look into them? 
it's been a while since I looked at it. They're they're not all that impressive and they're not all that they're not all that expensive. Pat on his site patshead.com actually has a really a really cool Steam Link blog. Um Oh nice. And he can he always he always pings me in Google Hangouts and tells me when the Steam Link has gone on sale because he sees an immediate spike to his his Steam Link blog in his in his web metrics. Um but yeah, oh, I'm, cool. I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Yeah, that uh, it's a real it's a really good blog, and his blog is why either his research into that blog or the publishing of that blog is why I went ahead and picked one up because they they're not expensive, and we've uh, we've played some things over Steam Link on my on our you know on our TVs, and it's it's worked out pretty well. Now we couldn't do something like whatever the latest Call of Duty or battlefront games are um but some of the you know some of the funner you know top down button mashing games we've done over there and they've been a, they've been a lot of fun it's a great idea though isn't it i mean this idea of you know the cheap android kind of boxes and things like that and you know you just have a very simple dumb client that then you know much bigger servers at the end and the gaming kind of thing i mean there's so many factors though with gaming with ping with latency and stuff that you have to consider yeah. that isn't as easy um, you know, which you can get away with, with kind of like just streaming hard, you know, streaming movies and stuff. It doesn't work the same way in, in the computer world, but it's very cool that they're doing these type of things. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I, when I, when I was a kid, you had your gaming console at one TV and, and that was it. If mom and dad were watching whatever, whatever TV show they were interested in, nobody was playing any games on the other TV. And now, now it's cheap enough that you could put one of those boxes at every TV in the house and you just walk over there with your controller and plop down and start playing. I I think that's I think that's amazing, and that probably shows how old I am too. <laughs> no, it, it is great. It really is. And uh, so you're, you're hoping then. So this 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 home theater PC then will get rid of the Fire TV stick, the Chromecast, and the and the Steam Box. Then yeah, I'm hoping at least it would be ideal if all three of them could get consolidated down into that one device. But if I'd only got two, that would be that would be good too. Or um, one of the things I was considering was putting some sort of capture card into the home theater PC and then plugging the the Fire TV and the Chromecast right into that. But I don't, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. That's expensive. Yeah, it starts getting more and more, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the. This is always the problem. You know, yeah, it's so easy to go crazy with these things. Well, like your DIY NAST build of last year, it's very easy to go crazy. The slope is is indeed slippery <laughs> oh man and actually yes yeah, so speaking of the diy nas build so it's coming that time again like you know 2018 um what has been your thought process going into this build and kind of what you're you're planning to do well i keep i keep looking for something now this is probably a an unfair you know measuring stick i keep looking for something that's gonna be better than what i built last year and that's gonna be hard right i mean i built a Somebody somebody pointed out a a thirty five hundred dollar NAS last year. Um, yeah, it's it, that that's a tough. You you've definitely set yourself up for I, uh, you know a big big task. And I don't and I don't want to. That's not a that's not a thing that I want to repeat. I mean, I I did that last year with the very very specific purpose of building a NAS that could also be you know a, a VM host. And I don't necessarily need to do that every single year. So I've kind of mostly been keeping my eye out on what I think would be 
a good DIY NAS with, you know, without maybe the, the focus on the, having the, the Xeon CPU in there. So what I've, what I've really been waiting for is the next of the Intel C series CPUs, you know, the, the earlier DIY NAS is the prior years have built, been built around the, the Intel C2550 and C2750 CPUs. What, sorry, what was the benefit of those then? What do they, what characteristics do they have? They are, they are low power CPUs is essentially my, my biggest draw to them. They had high core counts. They're kind of out of the, the Atom, the Atom family, uh, I am, for whatever reason, for these DIY NAS builds, I am enamored with low power and incorporated into the motherboard. I don't, I don't know why I can't explain it. It's been a, it's been a draw of mine. Mostly it's, it's because they come in a small form factor. I mean, it's, it's a number of things. It's, it's a small form factor. It's low power. And, you know, at one point those C2550 and 2750 motherboards were they were inexpensive i mean the first one that i bought was like 250 dollars. i can't remember exactly and since since it came out they're so popular that you know those those mother those same motherboards today still sell for you know up to 500 dollars. and i i don't understand that other than maybe intel's they didn't produce that many of them or you know, they, they underestimated the demand and now they're, you know, now there's just not that many available. And, you know, because the supply is low, the price goes high. Um, Intel supposed to be, or has released the newest of that series called the Denverton. And I've, I've seen a few motherboards pop up out there built around, built around those CPUs. And as soon as I see, I suppose the right motherboard, the one that that I think will be the the next candidate for the DIY NAS. I'll I'll get busy buying it and all the other stuff that goes along with it. Oh, very exciting! And and do you have like kind of ideas on like the, the hard drive space, or does it all come around like you know once you've decided on the motherboard and the CPU, then you go to work on the other bits? Yeah, yeah. Once I've once I've bought a CPU and motherboard, I'll start looking at you know what I think is the right hard drive to choose, you know, the right, the right balance between, uh, you know, the number of drives and the, the amount of storage and, and then I'll go from there. That is really, really interesting. And I say, I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing the updates on that. Cause uh, it's always fun seeing what you choose and, you know, kind of, you say it's just these stories you get with these builds. It's just so much fun. Yeah. One thing I was going to ask actually, cause, cause you do these two builds and you do them, you know, a, both of them each year. Uh, which one do you prefer? Is there is there a preference on one, like the Eco Build or the DIY one? What do you enjoy most doing? I enjoy the the DIY NAS build because I always attain my objective. Whereas with the Econo NAS build, I've set an objective that it almost seems unattainable. So while I always while I'm always happy with the building the Econo NAS and the choices that I've made and how inexpensive it is, I've still yet to hit that $500 goal. And because I don't hit that goal, it kind of feels like, I don't want to say a letdown, but just a, man, I did really good, but I didn't, I didn't quite do the best. Have you thought about like maybe incorporating eBay into this and trying to uh, get like the, uh, like an eBay NAS build or something? I, I could definitely build 
a NAS for $500, that's great. But what I can't do is allow other people to replicate that success, right? If I happen to find, you know, a closeout on eBay of two of four hard drives for half the price that I normally would have paid, well, that's great for me. But the guy who's reading that blog, he can't turn around and repeat that. I want it, I want it to be pretty repeatable. I want I want you to be able to go and do it. Or I want, you know, you know, my neighbor across the street to say, Hey, I I built that NAS and you're right, I did it for five hundred dollars. That was that was pretty awesome. And I that's there are there are ways to do it cheaply, but there aren't ways to do it cheaply that are easily re- reproducible. And I'd rather I'd rather miss the mark and have it be reproducible. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and like, we, I suppose in turn, then what what one do you find harder to spec out? Because uh, you know, there's like a decision, I suppose, with DIY where you've got so much, you've got no constraints, yep. and then you've got all the constraints with an eco build. Yeah, um, they're equally they're equally dif- difficult, but in but in different ways. Whereas with the with the DIY NAS, it's it's look at all these features that I got and how much it's costing me, and and trying to make sure that that's both of those are reasonable, right? Yeah, yeah. I spent thirty five hundred dollars, but look at everything that this machine can do. As as long as I can make that justification, I'm happy with the DIY NAS. Whereas it's the other way around on the Econo NAS, and that's look how few dollars I spent and compare it to how much stuff that 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 box is able to do. And not being, you know, I wind up being disappointed kind of in two ways. And Number one, I missed my $500 goal again. And then number two, look at how many things that my other NAS build can do that this build just isn't going to be capable of. It doesn't have the same kind of uh, look to it, does it, when you yeah. have that beast of the last one? Have you thought about maybe adding, a, like, because uh, you're mentioning like the Intel C series, you, you thought about the AMDs at all? Or do you think like the price per performance and also the power consumption isn't, isn't right there? So I'm a I'm a big free NAS fan and I I like the other NAS related distributions but I've I've not played with them a whole lot and I've played with free NAS a ton and one of the things that I understand free NAS runs on top of FreeBSD it's my understanding that driver support for the newer AMD CPUs is not a priority in uh-huh. free FreeBSD so while it might work it's just not as is comparable to their their Intel competitors. So I would I mean I would I would really enjoy I think building a an AMD NAS, but then I would probably have to move away from doing free NAS or I would just have to accept that hey there's a bunch of stuff that that I'm not going to be able to do because the driver support isn't isn't there yet or may never be there. And actually, there's been interesting because you mentioned FreeNAS there. Like there was a lot of things last year around like FreeNAS 10 and FreeNAS 11. Um, I'm just wondering, like, what has your experience been? Because I'm guessing you're using FreeNAS 11 now. I think I'm using FreeNAS 11. I'm a pretty i I adopt the new versions pretty slowly for exactly the kinds of things that went on with FreeNAS 10 and 11. It was from the outside. I don't I don't participate in the community very much, but from the outside, it looked a little a little chaotic yeah it was was a little bit wasn't it like coral yeah. came out and it was cancelled and it's just a bit scary you you want I, I agree with especially with this type of thing where you want stability you want to be conservative on what yeah. you update yeah and now that now that you mentioned i did upgrade to free nas 11 pretty and i think i was probably an early adopter of free nas 11 and that went 
that went great. That went smoothly. I've been real happy with it. I haven't done a whole lot with any of the new FreeBSD features that are that are incorporated into it. But you know, from a hey, my NAS was working and doing all the things that I needed it to do before. It's doing all of those same things. Yeah, right those now. checkboxes. Yeah. Yeah, because I think like is it like eleven ones out or something with Docker support and all these kind of things. It's uh, what, what's so good then about because um I don't I currently on my server I'm currently just use, do a vanilla Ubuntu uh, with Open ZFS on it. But like what 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 for you kind of is the nice thing about FreeNAS? FreeNAS saved me from having to go to the command line and do anything. I I make fun of my coworkers for as much time as they spend in a GUI and their their aversion to any kind of a command line. Um, but I really like it for, for what I, what I use my NAS for. I really like that. I've got a web interface that I just went there. I got everything set up that I needed set up and I've, I've done maybe two or three things at the command line. And that's been a, that's been a huge, a huge bonus for me. I mean, I'm, I'm exactly the same actually with open VPN access server um or access point like you know you can do this i mean you know these things on the command line but sometimes it's just easier to just let someone else deal with it yeah uh, and just provide a nice gui or a web API admin that you can just deal with it and you know it's like delegate that problem to something else or someone else yeah yeah i mean for uh for me the 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 zfs was what what brought drew me to FreeNAS, but what sold me on it was just being able to do all of that from the from its web front end and it's, I mean, there's so much as well. I'm, I'm actually just looking at it now, like just the amount of things it can do. And, you know, like you say, the virtual machines and stuff like that, like it has just, just ability. And also then Plex, obviously, because I mean, that was something that you included in your last DIY NAS build. Yep. yep. Um, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's great. It's, it's really nice. I like, I like it. I think that, I think that ultimately free NAS and products like it, you know, uh, Open Media Vault and I'm forgetting the others, they make they make someone who maybe's only built one PC or maybe's never built a PC. They enable that person to build their own NAS without having to frustrate themselves at the command line with things that they're not familiar with. Tons of configs and go for it like crazy. Yeah, and I I think that's really powerful and exciting. No, absolutely. No, I can't I can't agree more with you there. And uh, so, you know, we're talking about these spec, you know, specking out builds and stuff. Like one thing I used quite a bit, actually, when I was building my one last year was the PCPartPicker.com. I was wondering, do you use any of these products or are you just a straight up like spreadsheet guy? How do you kind of spec out machines and, you know, compare and contrast? I'm a, I'm pretty much a straight up spreadsheet guy. I've got a few uh, Google Docs where I've got spreadsheets for every single one of the NAS builds. And, you know, I just wind up kind of throwing together you know, what alternates are out there and putting it all down and adding up prices and pretty much uh, winging it there. I like, I like PC part picker. I've looked at, I mean, I've looked at things that people have shared out there and I've, I've, I've tinkered with it, but I've never used it for any of my NAS builds. Yeah. You can't beat a good spreadsheet. It's the most customizable thing. Yeah. It's just a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> you can do I, anything with it. I, I, I joked around a lot with my bosses in the past, but I've, I've told them before that, if somebody put enough thought into it, they could replace me with a spreadsheet. <laughs> I, I like daring them. I like I like seeing what they what they might do with that. Oh, brilliant! Oh, that's awesome. Because uh, you mentioned also, you know, your blog and everything. Can you write some really in depth? 
great art- articles that are just really enjoyable to read. But by by that token, it must take you ages to write them, surely. And to the thought that goes into them and the pictures that go with it and everything. Like, How do you f- have the motivation to kind of keep on with a, a certain you know blog post and you don't go off on a tangent with something else and you know kind of get these things out there? Well, there are, for starters... I'm a, I'm a wordy guy. The the effort of writing is interesting. I type up all of that. You'd be astonished at how fast at how fast that goes. Uh, I don't. It's not something making making the words has never been a challenge. Now going back and and trimming out or finding that tangent that I went on for three thousand words about that has. No, oh, it's no, too many words as yeah. opposed to not, uh, not enough. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's a big problem. And and that's not even a huge problem. If I wind up writing 3,000 words about something, then it needs its own blog posts. And I'll usually just copy and paste those out into a new blog post. And I've got, I've got a list of blogs that are, we'll call them started. They're not finished, but I've got a perpetual list of things that could possibly be their own blogs that I've written a bunch of words about. And Sometimes those come to fruition and sometimes more often than not, what they do is they wind up becoming, they age themselves and they, they just aren't relevant by the time I, I get the energy to finishing them. Um, I just actually published one of those blogs. Uh, the one about trade wars, 2002, I wrote most of that probably a year and a half ago. And I've been, and I've been stuck because what I said is, you know, I wanted to write. A, I wanted to write a blog about how I got into all the different kinds of online gaming that I do. And then it dawned on me that I had this Trade Wars game server just laying around, this license that I wasn't using for anything. So then I said, well, when I write that blog, I'm going to stand up a, a VM out in the cloud, and I'm going to run this. I'm going to run this game server on it, and we're going to actually we're going to actually play it. And uh, it took it took me finally getting the gumption of I hadn't done it before. So going out to Azure and standing up a windows box and, and getting this running to, to bring that, that blog to fruition. No, and I, re- so I really enjoyed that blog actually. And we can, it'd be good actually to talk about it now as we're, as we're on that note. And like, maybe could you give a little introduction to people, what trade wars 2002 is and kind of also what the BBS scene is. So yeah, when we got, one of our first one of our first computers when I was in middle school, so probably around eleven, twelve, thirteen years old. Um, my dad bought a computer that had a that had an internal modem on it that could do. It had a baud rate of twenty four hundred. That was twenty four hundred bits per second or characters per second. Terribly slow, but it, by by today's by today's measurements. Um, and what people did is they operated their own, they, they're called them BBSs, they're bolted board systems. You would dial into their phone number, their modem would pick up and hand you over to this BBS software. And you could do, you know, messaging and chat and uh, what wound up drawing me in. You could transfer files, that was that was handy. And what wound up drawing me in were these door games is what they were called. Essentially a door, a door was another application that the BBS handed you off to you'd play that. And then it would hand you back. You would go through that door to reach the game, the door game. And there were, I mean, hundreds, thousands of these BBSs, and there were, you know, messaging nodes that where you could write 
you can participate in in conversations across numerous BBSs. Um, I, I even remember when I was 13, awkward little computer geek Brian going to a party that one of the guys threw for all the users of his BBS. It was it was fun. Um, they were they were uh, they were kind of fun times. And this this all predates you know the the America Online and you know things like Prodigy. They they came after, and this these were kind of the precursors to it. Um, and my favorite of all of those games was Trade Wars two thousand two. Essentially, Trade Wars two thousand two is kind of a space trading game. Uh, you you move around. It's all text. You move around the universe and you trade three kinds of goods at at various ports that either buy or sell those goods, and you use that money to turn around and buy bigger ships with more shields and fighters and torpedoes, and you can colonize a planet and build a top of that planet. A, they call it a citadel. It's kind of like a home base, and you know you can you can arm it and move it around, and you can do all sorts of things. It was a lot of fun then. It's still every bit as fun today, probably more because it's nostalgic than, you know, the, the gameplay. I mean, you have to be willing to read to play, but we've been having a good time. So far, there's about 10 guys that are playing regularly, and that's a, that's a pretty good count. No, I think it's absolutely awesome, dude. I really do, and it's really exciting. It's, it's been fun. I've, it's, been a, it's been a blast. Uh, and actually, one one last thing, and because I'm I'm keeping you for over an hour, and I know you've, I'm, I'm sure you're itching and scratching to get on with the operating system or some writing. Well, one thing I would love to talk to you about, and and this is the discussion of like SSD connectors uh, and the differences. So we're all very you know familiar with the SATA port connector, uh, and but then there's MSATA, and then there's M2, and then there's MVME, and then there's PCI Express. Uh, it'd be really cool, maybe if you could kind of give me or us, you know, the audience, a bit of a download on kind of what these differences are the performances and things like that well uh, of of the five or six um i'm not especially knowledgeable uh all of my ssds that i've bought to date have been sata ssds in fact i have i have almost avoided the others um i'm sure i've in my laptop i'm sure i don't have a sata ssd but that's in my laptop if i ever had to get it fixed i'd just send it back to dell i don't I don't want to go digging into a laptop. Don't be uh, yeah, don't want to be opening up any laptops. I learned I learned that the hard way a long time ago. Um so yeah, I don't I'm pretty ignorant on the differences between them, but you know, I know the ones the close the closer that you get to the actual electronics of the motherboard, the faster that they get. And I might be wrong on this, but I would imagine the PCIe ones are the fastest. Yeah, that seems to be the case where the PCI Express seems to be like the go-to, the most expensive, and and yeah, you say the most performant. Yeah. And then you've got the the M2 and the MVME, but it's very strange that the, I think the M2 connector can run. At, you either you can be not conned, but you can kind of be fooled into getting a SATA connector version of it or an MVME version of it. Okay, and there's like things around there or some ilk, but. Yeah, I, I, I say I'm I'm quite like I, I mean I did I'm like you you know I'm very much like I'm a SATA guy and that's what I know. Yeah. Um, but you know, with the performance being a thing, you know, a big thing and a push towards it, you're seeing a lot more PCI Express and also now of the M2 form factor. So it, it's quite interesting. And like, have you ever thought about maybe you know, I suppose with NAS builds it's a bit different, but like maybe in say your um you know like you know like gaming beat PCs and things like that having like a 
you know, a much faster kind of PCI Express SSD connector. Yeah, I'd, that would probably be something that I thought about that I might think about doing when it comes time to upgrade my my main rig here. That's that I do most of my ga- my gaming at my big my big computer. Um, but right now he's just got like three or four SSDs in it, just traditional SAT SSDs. Uh, how are you running that then? Is that a RAID setup or is that just kind of, you know, they're on their own? It was, it was, I had a, the operating system and everything that I cared about on a, a mirror for a while. And then I had, I can't remember what failed either. An S, something, something broke on my computer and I had to, I had to rebuild it. And I decided at that time just to go ahead and upgrade to a newer, a newer motherboard and CPU. And when I, when I did that, I bought a one terabyte SSD. So right now I just have my three SSDs all uniquely assigned their own drive letters and being backed up. That's good. Have you ever thought about RAID Zero in it and going really scary? I <laughs> I thought about it, but I learned my lesson ages ago on uh this is one of my bad hard drive experiences. I bought I bought two hard drives from a particular and they, I don't even think they were in the same batch or their serial numbers didn't even seem to indicate where they were. But I did RAID 0 across two drives and one of those drives wound up being from a bad batch and failed on me and I lost everything. Not a huge loss back then, but that's when I uh, I kind of swore off any kind of striping for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it, it seems, you know, striping seems one of these things, which is like, great, you know, it's like a win, you know, you have two drives, and you can just essentially share between them and take advantage of the fact that you can read to both. Yeah, and write from both and stuff. But yeah, once obviously that increases your chance of something breaking, and then the whole system being because you're, you're not just ruining, you're ruining the whole file system because one of them breaks. Yeah, it's not isolation at all. Yeah. But now that I've got a NAS here, and I'm frequently backing up to it, maybe it would be it would be far less catastrophic today than I was way back when I didn't have any kind of backup or, or anything and was really asking for trouble. If, if it's the only source of a, a file or something being stored, yeah. it's definitely not the place you want to be. But yeah, if you've got like, you know, offsite backups or NAS backups and things like that, yeah, it may be worth a, yeah. a little, little investigation. Yeah, I'd I'd be tempted to build a PC today where you know, maybe the operating system and and your few favorite games were on a striped SSD pair. And then anything documents wise, you were, you know, storing somewhere else and backing up somewhere else on top of that. I'd be, I'd be tempted on that. That might be, that may, might be fun to live on the edge and, and beg for trouble again. Oh man. Well, on that note, Brian, I'll say thank you so much again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And it's it's been great chatting to you about all this stuff and and getting an update on, on all your you know your NAS builds. Uh, thank you. I appreciate the time. Awesome. Well, audience, I say it's been another great episode, and we will speak to you again next week. Goodbye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at three devs and a maybe dot com. Or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.